Thank you, Stephen. Yes, it's a, a, great, uh, a great day. Great to have you here. You know, uh, I don't know if you do know this or not, but the number one hobby for Americans is gardening. Gardening is our number one hobby. I don't know if you know what our number two hobby is. Our number two hobby in America is tracing your genealogy. Now, who would have known that, right? So uh, I don't know how many of you are tracing your genealogy. Have you signed up for a site? Uh, if you got excited about genealogy, uh, but of course, with uh, the you know with computers and databases coming up, uh, it's become uh, really uh, easier and super popular. And of course, like why do you want to trace your genealogy? I mean, people have different reasons, but for some, it's like they just want to be rooted. They want to know where they came from. Uh, for others, they want to know if they have some sort of famous person in their lineage. And I was like, okay, I really am somebody because, you know, some great person was either a rock star or a king or a whatever. And then uh, the British TV, BBC, uh, did a, a program called Who Do You Think You Are? and was cleverly titled, and uh, of course it was emphasizing genealogy, and then uh, of course America, we know how to make money, so once we saw BBC was doing a good job, uh, we did a similar program, and uh, got a lot of uh, famous people in, and tracked their genealogy. So uh, I don't know if uh, you're tracking genealogy or not. But I do know this, uh, for most people in the Western world, uh, this is a somewhat new phenomenon. Uh, I know when I try to figure out my genealogy, uh, I was battling to get to my grandparents. Like, forget about my great-grandparents. It's like, uh, this is a short line. This is a, a, a cultural thing for Western society. Uh, many other cultures, they actually trace their genealogies all the way back, and it's really important to them. Uh, particularly interesting, to me anyway, is in New Zealand, the Maori people, uh, they can trace their genealogy back 800 to 1,000 years. Like everybody in the Maori tribe, they, they, they know. Uh, they know their whole genealogy, and for them the big deal was which of the eight canoes did their grandparents come on? Like which canoe was it that they came out of? And, and they got this all uh, traced out. So... Yeah, people want to feel rooted in it, and it's big business today. Apparently, the average person tracing their genealogy will spend between $1,000 and $18,000. Why $18,000? Because it's like, you know, my uncle was actually from Italy or Ireland or England, and uh, if I pay a professional to go and dig those archives out because they're not totally online and let him do all the hard work, and so they start paying professional people to do genealogy. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've spent, maybe you're saying 18000 That's like cheap. I've already spent 24000 I don't know. I, you know. Anyway, uh, I do know that the genealogy sites are called MyHeritage has got more than 80 million people using it. So, uh, that's a fairly big uh, website uh, with a lot of active users trying to trace this all down. So I got real excited about this, and uh, being the great American I am, I, I said, look, maybe one of my ancestors was on the Mayflower. So I, I downloaded the list of all the original people that are on the Mayflower, and I 
it's in alphabetical order because they were organized nicely in those days. And I went diligently down that list looking for Davis, Davis, no Davis. But at the end of that list is Turner. Now, who would have thought that the Turners, that the Turners were on the original Mayflower? The Turners. Okay, so now these are the Turners. Now, they were on the Mayflower. They can trace it all the way back. So you just better respect them a whole lot more now. I mean, they are like American royalty. They like, so you, I don't know what you're supposed to do, but you're supposed to greet them nicely. And You know, the other fascinating thing that came out of some of these um, uh, TV shows is when they were starting to do these genealogies and they you know, bring a whole bunch of famous people up and then they go back a whole bunch of years, they realize that they're related. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, this rock star and this great businessman are like to totally unrelated in the natural. Uh, if you start going back a number of generations, they connected. And then you start realizing, wait a minute, if you go back like a millennial, a lot of us are related. And, uh, you know, now we're looking at some of the science research. And what's so fascinating is they're saying, we're finding out scientifically that we all came from the same two people. Well, isn't that a kind of an interesting biblical idea? Yeah, well, okay, so there you go. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it to the genealogy? We want to look at genealogy today, and I want to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and then you'll see a whole long list there. And uh, if you open up uh, to Luke uh, chapter 3, in the middle of that, you'll see the genealogy list. And if you've got a pen uh, with you, uh, you're going to... I think you'll find it useful to circle a few things in that list. But before I get ahead of myself, let me just pray. Oh, Jesus, we just thank you that we can be at church today and uh, enjoy your presence, uh, enjoy your peace, uh, enjoy your joy. We thank you for this Advent season. And Lord, uh, we uh, just want to focus today the fact that you are our king and that you are humble. Uh, Lord, just like opposite ideas. And so, Lord, we just embrace the fact that we want to worship you as our king because you are worthy to be worshipped. And, Lord, we just want to acknowledge that you are so personal and that it's uh, humbling that you desire to serve us and have relationship with us. And, Lord, we just thank you that it gives purpose to our lives and it gives meaning. And, Lord, that you're actually interested in helping us resolve our concerns that you interested in who we marry and helping us find that right person. Uh, you are interested in our children and our families. You're interested in our family dynamics and our family relationships. And we just ask you to be involved in that and to help us with that and to help us raise our kids uh, to know you and to love you and want to follow you. And Lord, we just thank you that uh, you help us with the things that stress us out, that we can ask you for help financially that, that you provide and you organize our lives. And so, Lord, we come to you today knowing that you are a God who's available and is interested in us. And I just pray you'd put power on my preaching today. And I just pray that uh, we would connect with you and experience the love that you have for us. In your name, Jesus, amen. So if you look at Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, he has a long list of people and who's the father of who. And uh, if you like me and you like to use Bible reading plans, 
uh, you normally get to these lists and say, wow, I've got a break today because uh, I've got four chapters to read today and one meaningless one with names. I'm really one chapter ahead of the game, so now chapter two, and off you go. And, you know, so, okay, I'm the only one that does that. Uh, All right, well, if you get a Bible reading plan, uh, which I suggest you do, uh, it's really great to read through the whole Bible or uh, focus on reading through the New Testament in a systematic, organized uh, way, and uh, you will come across these lists of people's names, which uh, at first glance, unless you dig in a little bit, don't seem particularly helpful, uh, but uh, there's lots to be learned from these lists. Uh, So we have the list here in Matthew, and you have a list in Luke chapter 3, verse 23. But here's what I want you to circle in in this list. It starts off, and it says, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So the author is telling us, Matthew, uh, straight away that you, you, you need to pay attention to two people, Abraham and David. Now, of course, you know, there's a whole slew of names here, and he's saying David and Abraham. And then if you go through this list, you'll see uh, verse 2 is Abraham, and you might want to circle that. And then if you go down to verse 6, in the middle of verse 6, you'll see David, and you might want to circle that. And then when you go to verse 12, it says, after the Babylonian, Babylonian exile, and you might want to circle that. Because the author is saying there's significance to these people and to this particular time frame. So, you know, if you want to look at uh, the biblical history in a nutshell, uh, what this author is telling us is the period from Abraham to David is like one uh, historical significant event. Then you've got a period from David until the Jewish people went into exile. And you need to know that that's one major significant event. And then the people come out of exile until the birth of Jesus. Now, that is a good way of putting all the different books of the Bible together and figuring out which section, especially when you're going through the prophets, do they fit into? And why is this exile and coming out of exile such a big deal? And as you go through the Bible, if you've got that frame of reference, it's super helpful. Uh, It's super helpful. And uh, I just highlighting that because it's right here in, in this section. And then, you know, finishing off the list on verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary. And again, uh, interesting choice of words, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Then if you look at uh, Luke's list, he starts the order the opposite way around. And he starts off in verse 23 of chapter 3. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. And then you go through the list. So there is something uh, pretty interesting with these uh, genealogies. And there's a lot that we can get out of this. And you're saying, well, okay, well, what exactly is that? Well, the first thing that I want us to realize when we look at a genealogy is what it's trying to emphasize primarily is that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is the Christ. There is, if you look at the, the, the way that Matthew's uh, rolling it out, uh, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Now, this is really important because the genealogy is uh, written for this audience. And what it's doing is it's saying, okay, we're going to build. And we're going to build like a, like a procession, uh, like a military procession coming into town. And at the end of the procession, like the highlight, the, the, the triumphant thing is that Jesus is the Messiah. And so you've got Abraham and David and then Jesus. On the other hand, Luke, uh, he's writing to a, a, a Greek audience and uh, they don't really care too much about Abraham and uh, David. But what Luke is trying to emphasize is that Jesus is the son of God. And so it goes all the way through to Jesus is God, he's the son of God. And that's emphasized in Luke. And so different audience, different way of writing the genealogies. But this whole idea that Jesus is the king. Now, the big idea here for the audience that Matthew was writing to was that the Jewish people knew that God had given promises to both Abraham and to David. And the promises were basically, listen, I'm going to be sending you a Messiah, anointed one, the king, God. And these people were like, this is so exciting. We've got these promises from Abraham. And Abraham like died without all these promises coming to fulfillment. But each generation picked up that promise. And you know what's so very, very interesting in genealogies and today is that the Muslim faith is also going back to those exact same promises that God gave Abraham, that Abraham would be a blessing to nations. Because it's Abraham's kid that was the founder, you know, or the, the split off, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Esau was the Muslim side. So you got the Christians, you got the Jews, you got the, the Muslims all believing in these promises made to Abraham. So what is the promise made to Abraham? Well, there's actually a number of them, but I'm going to just read you uh, Genesis chapter 22, 18, because there's a number of uh, promises that Jesus in being born is fulfilling what God has said many, many years ago. And uh, people, especially the Jewish people, were waiting and anticipating uh, this birth, this person. Now, of course, Jewish people today are still waiting because they don't see it as being Jesus. And we're saying, hello, look, here it is. And this is Jesus. And only Jesus could fulfill these promises. But, but here's the one which is generic. Jews, Christians, Muslims, all looking at the same promise. And through your descendants, all the nations of earth will be blessed. Through your descendants, all the nations on this earth will be blessed. And of course, when we put all the other promises and prophecies together, we say that person is Jesus and was through Jesus and what Jesus has done through his believers that all nations in this world will be blessed. So that's the promise, the prophecy that was given to Abraham. The idea being that Jesus is the king. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, the second pro prophecy, uh, the big one that they pulling out of this genealogy by the fact that they highlight Abraham and then they highlight David. Because look, there's a lot of prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. You look at the Psalms, you look at Isaiah, but in the genealogy, the author is saying, think about Abraham and think about David. So in David, we uh, see the 
prophecy that was given to him in second Samuel seven, 12 through 16. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong and I will secure his royal throne forever. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. I mean, this is why Jewish people are saying the Messiah has to come through Abraham and he has to come through David. I mean, those were like, you couldn't have a different genealogy. You had to have that genealogy. And of course, that's indeed exactly what, what Jesus fulfilled. The big point is this. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to be worshipped. Uh, Jesus is worthy to be praised. It's worthy that we should be obedient to what Jesus is telling us to do and what he's asking us to do. Uh, he's entitled as king to demand this from us. There's an entitlement. I mean, it's like, you know, if our president says he's going to do this or that with taxes, we are obligated to do it. We, we don't like, yeah, we can vote on the matter. But once it's law, we are obligated as the, the leader of this country or any other country to do it. And what Jesus is basically saying through this genealogy, he is the king. He is entitled. He does have the right. Uh, he deserves to be worshipped. And, you know, on a harsh standpoint, if you don't, he could issue consequences. But that's the beautiful part of this whole king that we serve. Although Jesus can demand that we worship him, he desires that we do it freely and not through being demanded. And that's what's so like incredible about Jesus, that he knows you and me personally. He knows our struggles. He knows who we are. And he desires that we worship him because he's done something inside of us that's created the desire to want to worship him. And there's like a freedom and a joy that we experience when we do worship him. It's like this is helpful. It's fulfilling. It's uplifting. It gives us joy because Jesus is doing something alive in our, in our soul. I want to take very, very few minutes to explain something very, very complicated in the Bible with his genealogies. And uh, I'll just acknowledge right up front, uh, this is going to be a um, less than satisfactory uh, explanation for a complicated issue in the Bible. And he has a complicated issue. If you look at these genealogies in Matthew and in Luke, they're different. <laughs> they're actually very different. And it's like a lot of different people in the genealogy. And it's like, if you drill down, it's a little disconcerting. Uh, for instance, in Matthew, you look at Jesus' father's father is Jacob. If you look in Luke, Jesus' father, Joseph's father, is Heli. Well, which is right? Which is it? Okay, so this is unsatisfactory, I understand. But I just want to give you an idea here that there's a lot happening that we don't fully understand. Firstly, I want to say this. Genealogies in those days and in this day are fluid. In other words, if you go back to the, the Maori tribe and you say, who's your genealogy? The first question is like, what's the purpose of me telling you? And depending on what the purpose is, they'll give you a different genealogy. And it's like, I thought the genealogy would just be the genealogy. 
But no, they know their genealogy. So it's like, which vein do I want to go down? And uh, depending on what's purpose, I'll go down this vein or this vein. And, and so you have different... And it was totally normal in those days to have fluid genealogies. Uh, one of the explanations uh, is that the genealogy in Luke is actually for following Mary's line. And both Mary and, uh, and, and Joseph are both uh, descendants of, of David. But another uh, pretty big thought here, and this is so foreign to us that we just don't really fully grasp this, is this whole idea of uh, numbers. And the number seven in the Bible is actually a big deal. It's a, it's a number of fulfillment. It's a number of completion. And uh, so these genealogies were written not to include every single person in the genealogy. That we know totally for sure. Uh, in other words, they telescope these things down uh, to make the right number or to include the right people without including everybody. We know that because if you compare the genealogies in Matthew with the genealogies in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Chronicles, they're actually different. And again, that wasn't very unusual for those times. You would emphasize who you want to emphasize. So what's happening in Matthew? Well, let me just say, in Luke, there's 77 names. Okay, in Matthew, there's sets of seven. And we, we see this uh, uh, in verse 17. All those lifted, listed above include 14 generations, two times seven, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Uh, so in other words, there's something significant about these sevens, and numbers in those days meant more than they do today. I'm just going to stop there, just like pointing it out to you, as opposed to drilling down there just because I want to emphasize something else before I finish up. Jesus was humble. Not only was he from the lineage, the king, the undisputed uh, king, that he met all the pedigree requirements. He was the one everybody is anticipating. But what he wasn't, what people weren't necessarily anticipating, was that he'd be so personal, so approachable, so like wonderful, like you can actually talk to Jesus and Jesus wants to be part of your life. And what's even more mind-blowing is not only that, this king wants to serve you. It's just like this is just like a whole other concept. And not only does this king want to serve you, but this king expects us to be like him and to serve others. I mean, that's the implication. Of it. it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. There's some flaws in this genealogy. If you look at the genealogy of Matthew, there's some very serious flaws in this genealogy. And uh, here are the flaws. I'll just read them to you. Verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Selman was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now, the scandal of this is this. Women had no status and no legal right when these things were written. The fact that you would include women in a genealogy was like unspeakable, unthinkable. Like this is like ridiculous. Like you're going to, well, yeah, because from God's perspective, even in the Old Testament, Women had value. And in the New Testament, 
woman's value is elevated to a whole nother level with like this equality as uh, Stephen was preaching uh, previously. But what's particularly scandalous about this is that three of these women, you know, well, at least uh, Tamar was a prostitute and uh, Rahab was the town prostitute, you know, so you got Jesus's lineage going through prostitutes. Okay, this is like, you know, most of your genealogy, like you get rid of the bad people in the, in the lineage and you just highlight all the kings and the queens and the famous soccer players and football players, you know. You, but here, what is being presented before us is Jesus is basically saying, listen, I am humble. I am, I am a king, but I want to be a king that can relate, that can relate to all people. Jesus wants to relate to you, and he wants to relate to me. So he's relatable. He's this awesome, unbelievable king that's relatable. He's personal. And it basically means this. It doesn't matter how screwed up you are, or your family is, or your family's family, or where you come from. Jesus loves you. And it's not how great you are. It's how great Jesus is. It's not what you can do for yourself and how rich and famous you can get. It's what Jesus has already done for you. And Jesus is saying, join my lineage. Join, you can be my kid. I'll do it for you. And now, friends, that is like unbelievably good news. We don't have to get perfect. We don't have to be great. Jesus is the one that's great. He is this awesome king worth worshiping, and he wants to be our friend. I, it's, 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 a, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible thing when we look at this, this lineage. So I just want us to um, zone in on, on these two points. Jesus is a king worthy of worship. He could demand it, but he's made himself available to us, accessible to us. He died on the cross for us as a servant. And Jesus is interested in your life today. He knows exactly your troubles, your situation. He knows what keeps you up at night. He hears your prayer. He wants to be your support. He gives us the Holy Spirit to be with us and to reside in us. And the other thing is, Jesus is all powerful. What we can't overcome, what we think is just like the impossible, Jesus says, I can overcome and do the impossible. This is just like, you know, this genealogy, just like you don't want to skip over it next time you're in that Bible reading plan. You just want to like, okay, Jesus, speak to me. Speak to me. You, you're the one. Lord Jesus, I just pray for our church. I just pray for every person sitting here today. Lord, that we during this Advent season would be in touch with how great and how awesome you are, but also how powerful you are and how personal you are. And the fact that you decided that you wanted to die for us so that we could experience your love and we could experience your hope and we could have your Holy Spirit living and residing within us by simply acknowledging that you are the king and we aren't and that you died on the cross and we didn't and that we can ask you into our lives and when we do you hear that prayer and we are changed when we allow you to be king in our lives. So Lord, I just pray for all those present today that may never have asked you into their life, that they might want to ask you into life, that they would just feel the freedom to invite you into their lives and allow your Holy Spirit to change them. And Lord, I just pray blessing on them in your name, Jesus. Amen.